We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning. Acts chapter 8. Glad you can make it out to the 10 o'clock service. Real quick, uh, some of you have been asking, a few people have asked this morning, I just want to clarify, we are uh, starting the book of Revelation this Wednesday. So uh, some of you have been asking about that. So this coming Wednesday here in just a few days, we'll be starting the book of Revelation. If that interests you, you can come out and join us on Wednesday nights. So uh, Acts chapter 8, hey, let's pray and we'll get going into this. Uh, Lord, as always, you taught this. We pray through your spirit now that you would teach this as you've written this, that we may truly live it out, not just talk about it, but be a doer of the word, not just to hear in all that we say and do in your name. Amen. All right, I'm looking forward to this. I teach on Acts chapter 8 a lot. If you've ever come to any of our baptism services, we always use Acts chapter 8 as our baseline of when it comes to explaining what baptism is. We just had a baptism service a month ago. I think we had like 10, 11 people get baptized. Real neat. And we always use Acts chapter 8 as the teaching point of that, of the Ethiopian eunuch getting baptized and Philip leading him to the Lord. So we normally, when we do the baptism part, we kind of skip over the first part of this message, and we focus a lot on the baptism. So it's kind of fun today. It's not that we're going to skip over the baptism part. That's really important. But we get a chance to focus on the first part of this, how we got to that. Now, we're going to talk about Philip here. And if you weren't with us for the last couple weeks, in Acts chapter 6, we're first introduced to who Philip is. Philip was one of the original seven deacons. And his first job was running a food pantry, food ministry. And then you see him growing in Acts chapter 8 to a now he's this wonderful evangelist, uh, strong in apologetics. And now you see him here in verses 26 on going and leading this man to the Lord. And then at the end of the chapter, he disappears. Literally, he disappears. We have one more reference to Philip later on in the book of Acts, and I'm looking forward to that because the last reference to the Philip in the book of Acts is he is now married, has four daughters who are prophets. And so we get to see the full life cycle of Philip, and I'm really looking forward to when we get to an Acts to be able to talk about his life cycle and what a neat blessing that is. But for right here, right now, we're going to talk about Philip and his idea of leading this man to the Lord and what that looked like through the Spirit. So with that being said, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Please remember the perspective of what we're talking about. Philip, put yourself in his perspective. He is leading a vibrant ministry. Huge. Taking the gospel to the Samaritans. People are getting saved. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. It's this wonderful, amazing ministry that is going on. Fruitful beyond fruitful. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this ministry, verse 26, Lord says, I want you to leave. And where do I want you to go? To the desert. Now, he doesn't say desert, verse 26, arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip would know that's a desert. He's from the area. In the midst of this amazing, thriving ministry, he's sent to the desert. And we know what happens, verse 27, he arose and went. But let's talk about deserts here for a little bit. It is inevitable in your Christian walk you're going to go through a season of being in the desert or the wilderness. It is going to happen. You may be in one right now. You may be in a physical desert right now where you're facing physical problems you never thought you would face and they do not seem to be getting better and they keep going on. You may be in an emotional desert or wilderness right now. You may be in a spiritual desert or wilderness right now. You're in the Word. You're in prayer. And you're like, Lord, I'm getting nothing. There's not a lot of fruit in the desert. Not a lot of fruit in any way whatsoever. And I think what happens a lot for us as believers, we try to get the first escape route out of the desert. First exit we can, we try to get out. God says, no, I actually want you in here for a while. And sometimes we lose the blessing of leaving too quickly the desert when the Lord says, no, the longer you stay, 
the more you'll learn. I remember when Dawn and I drove out to California, and it's been 20 plus years ago. I believe it was in Utah. We got through the Rockies, and we were driving out there with a friend, and we got to the desert region. I believe it was Utah area or Nevada. And they had all these warning signs. All these warning signs. It's basically saying there is nothing coming up for the next 28 miles. Nothing. So they kept warning you, nothing's coming up for the next, next 28 miles. Just advance. You finally get to the last spot, huge sign. You're at this little road stop, stop gas station, and it's reminding you there is nothing for the next 28 miles. So this is your time to fill up your car. This is your time to empty yourself. This is your time to get food, to get water, to whatever you need, because there is nothing for the next 28 miles. Now, the happens in life is usually God doesn't give you those signs. You wake up one day and it's like, what happened? I mean, what, what happened here, Lord? This ministry I used to be running that we had to turn people away. We're having too many people get baptized. We're having too many people need to be discipled. Now I can't get one person that wants to get baptized. I can't get one person that wants to be discipled. We had to start setting up chairs for a season. And now it's like, oh, well, we probably should take some chairs down. There's seasons where things go and things come. We live in a farming community. You guys know this. Right now we're working up ground. We're planting winter wheat. And guess what's going to happen to that winter wheat? Nothing. We're going to plant it. And it's just going to sit there through November and December and January and February and March. And by April, it's like, hey, it's pretty green. And then it just starts growing. But there's a season of growth. There's a season of harvesting. And there's also a season of nothing. If you'd go out in a couple months in the middle of January to go pick an apple off the tree, there will be nothing there. It does not mean that apple tree is failing. It does not mean that apple tree is dead. It means it's in a season of not a lot of fruit. The Bible makes it abundantly clear to you there are going to be seasons in your life. And sometimes there's a season of a desert, of a wilderness. And this should not shock you nor surprise you. Great men and women of God went through these same seasons. I just started making a mental list in my mind. Exodus chapter 2, Moses was in the desert when the Lord spoke to him through the burning bush. Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist spent his life growing up and living in the desert. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. And we could go in and talk about David had desert and wilderness moments. Elijah had desert and wilderness moments. And when you're in the middle of the desert and the wilderness, what is it that you want? You need food and you need water. Those are the two things you need in the middle of the wilderness. Aren't you great that Jesus said this in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So in the middle of the desert, what do you need? You need Jesus. What's the purpose of the desert? To strip you of everything and everyone to remind you that all you need is Jesus. The purpose of the desert is to strip you of everyone and everything to remind you that all you need is Jesus. When you're going through a desert wilderness time, you may go to your spouse and try to open up to him or her, and there's nothing there. You may go to that best friend that has always been to, for there for you, and you try to explain what's going on. You may go to your pastor. You may go to a ministry leader, and they're like, they're just, they're just not getting it. And Jesus is saying, I know, because in the middle of the desert and wilderness, all you need is me. And just keep planting seeds. Keep trusting that I'm moving and working. Keep trusting that the root system under the ground is growing that you don't see. But when we try to leave the desert wilderness as quick as we can, the roots don't get as strong as they possibly can. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, please. We made reference to this verse last week because at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we talked about the church being scattered. And we talked about how probably the book of James was written at this time. 
and the church is scattered. And what does James say in James chapter 1? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you go through trials and tribulations, knowing that trials and tribulations you know, increase your faith, helps you grow in your walk. And we made reference to 1 Peter 1. Please listen to 1 Peter 1. Let's start in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is the purpose of these trials and tribulations? Verse 6, they grow us. And verse 7, they reveal to us where we're at with the Lord. You have kids in school, you have grandkids in school, you've been in school. The purpose of a test is to give you a letter grade that reveals to you how much you know on that subject. Trials and tribulations are a test that reveal to us how well we're doing in certain subjects. So therefore, I think I may be doing wonderful with patience, with joy. I go through a desert wilderness moment and the Lord says, Yeah, your patience wasn't what you thought it was. Your joy wasn't what you thought it was. The desert time, the wilderness time revealed to me what my faith was truly like. So they produce a blessing, but it only produces a blessing if we're faithful in that time. If we sit there in the middle of the desert and the wilderness and we whine, we moan, we complain, and we try to get out of it as soon as we can, yeah, there's no growth that happens there. There's no blessing that comes out of that. What are we really supposed to do? Verse 6. Take a look at the first part. In this you greatly rejoice. First thing is, Lord, I rejoice. I know this sounds difficult, but as a body of believers, we've lost what it means to glory in tribulations. We've lost that. We reach this point of a society is when there's a trial or a tribulation or a problem, our prayer is always, Lord, make it stop. Lord, get me out of this as quick as I can. You can. The Bible actually says, no, rejoice in these trials and tribulations. Because why? They grow you. Look at the second part of verse 6. Though now for a little while. They only last for a little while. Corinthians says it's a light momentary affliction. Now, right now you may be saying, mine is not a light momentary affliction. I've been dealing with this for years, maybe decades. I will be dealing with this physical, spiritual, emotional problem until the day I die. How is that a light momentary affliction? Because everything compared to eternity is a light momentary affliction. You're thinking from the perspective of this earth. You're thinking of the here and now. For you that have been coming on Wednesday nights or Ecclesiastes study, you're focusing under the sun. Where compared to eternity, everything we go through is a light momentary affliction. And it grows me. And it is a grievous thing. Look at verse 6. If need be, you have been grieved. Some of your translations may distressed, disturbed. It is difficult. Some wilderness, desert times are physically painful. And Jesus says, I know, I was on the cross. Some desert wilderness times are emotionally draining and lonely. Some wilderness, desert times are spiritually completely dry. And you're in the Word, you're in prayer, you're at church, you're worshiping, and you're like, I'm getting nothing. Your roots are growing, you just don't see it. And we need to trust that. I remember hearing a pastor I respect a lot, his name is John. He was talking a story about uh, one of his congregational members came up to him and just said, Pastor John, I'm in a desert. I'm in a wilderness, I, and I, I'm in devotions, I'm, I'm in ministry, there's no fruit, there's no nothing. What's my purpose? I don't know what's going on. I, I just see nothing on the horizon. Pastor John said, how long have you been in this desert for? The guy goes, it's been a couple weeks. Pastor John said, he goes, I've been in mine for a few months. Sometimes they last for a while. 
And that time is a time of growth. How long will they last? Jesus' says was how long? 40 days. Moses' says was 40 years. <laughs> but just ignore that point. But the point is, sometimes they last. But if you understand the purpose of them, that they are needed, they are difficult, and they grow me, and they reveal things, it's worth it. So Philip leaving a thriving, vibrant ministry to go into a desert, wow, we can learn a lot from that. Be allowing of yourself to go to these dry times and say, Lord, you're stripping me of everything. You're stripping me of everyone to reveal to me the only thing I need is you. You are the bread of life. You are the water of life. Now, what's this look like practically? So you got laid off. You don't have a job. Glory and tribulations. You have so much time right now to be in the word and prayer. We don't think about that at that moment, do we? We start thinking about the financial distress that's going to come. We think about how the finances are going to be tight. We lose a little bit of our pride. I don't have a job. I'm looking. Well, wait a second. All of a sudden, I used to spend 40 hours a week, probably minimum working, hours driving to and from. I now have all this time to do the most in-depth study of the book of Romans you've ever seen. I'm going to glory in this tribulation. I'm laid up physically. I can't go back to work for six weeks. Actually, they want me to keep all weight off the foot for six weeks. So I'm just supposed to sit here and watch the prices right. No. You have six weeks to spend more time in the Word and prayer than you've ever imagined you can ever see. Glory in tribulations. We've lost that mindset. Let's just be perfectly blunt. They're not fun. We don't enjoy them. But they serve a purpose. And if we would realize that we could glory in tribulations, we could stop and say, okay, Lord, I like this. I want this. I I know a guy that uh, spent 15 years in prison. And when you ask him if you ever miss anything about prison, which is a strange question, he goes, yeah, I miss all the time I had to be in the Word and prayer. He was in a desert. He was in a wilderness. And he used that time in the desert and wilderness to grow and study like you can't ever imagine. Glory and tribulations, folks. Realize when the Lord brings you to a desert, it's for the greater good. He's working on us for eternity, not the here and now. So Philip, being willing to leave this growing, thriving ministry, is willing to come to the desert. And look at verses 26 and 27. He never asks why. Hey, Philip, I need you to go down to this road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Sure, Lord, why? But I just need you to go, Philip. Sure, Lord, why? Well, Philip, I just need you to go. Can I go tomorrow? No, go now. He didn't ask why. He didn't ask when. He went. I think we can learn a lot about that. You're going to see a theme of obedience build up here. When the Lord asks you to do something, keep your questions to a minimum. Lord, I trust you in faith that I'll just go because this is where you're leading me. So he arose and went, verse 27, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. So now he introduces into this man. Now, this is not happenstance. This is not coincidence. Obviously, this is a God-ordained plan. This man is a man of power. This man is a man of authority. And this was a man that was open. Verse 27, he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. He was probably a proselyte to the Jewish faith. So here he is coming to worship. And wouldn't you just know, on the way back, verse 28, he's sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, what happened at his time in Jerusalem? I don't want to speculate. I don't want to assume. I don't know. 
Did he go to Jerusalem and all of a sudden there's a lot of murmurings and rumblings about this man Jesus? Was there a lot of people talking about these Christians? Was Jerusalem different this time than the other times in the past when he came to worship? Was his heart stirred by this? Obviously, he was a man that wanted to know and grow and learn, verse 28, because he's reading Isaiah the prophet. And this would have been no small feat. This is not you pulling out your phone and going to Blue Letter Bible and bringing up Isaiah the prophet. This is not with your compact little mini Bible. This would have been a scroll that he has to bring out, and he's reading this, carrying this with him. This is obviously a man that also wanted to learn and grow, because it's not like you and I that can carry many Bibles with us. We have it on our phone. If you're taking the book of Isaiah with you, you're packing that. That's a lot to pack. That's a lot to bring. Is this a coincidence? Not in any way whatsoever. Verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake his chariot. So what happens? Verse 30, Philip ran to him. Do you see this pattern of obedience? Philip, go. It's desert. Philip goes without question or complaint. Philip, go to the chariot, overtake it. Verse 30, Philip goes. Now please note when it says he overtakes the chariot, this would have been a caravan. These chariots would have been moving very, very slow. This man would have had probably a sun shield over him, moving at a snail's pace. So therefore, Philip could go over and catch up to him, if you will, from that perspective. And so therefore, he goes up, And now he's obedient to what the Lord has in store. But I want to talk about this idea of obedience. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. It's out of James chapter 1. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. A hearer of the word, but also a doer of the word. I'm telling you right now, in most churches, there's a whole lot of hearers of the word. There's a lot of underliners of the word. There's a lot of memorizers of the word. And there's a lot of them, I'm going to stick it on my fridge of the word. The Lord is looking for doers. I'm glad that we memorize it. I'm glad that we mark it. I'm glad we put it on our fridge. I'm glad that we have that on our shirts, our bumper stickers, and our stationery, and our checks. But God says, I want you to be a doer. Once again, imagine this story with Philip just a little different. Philip, I want you to go down to this road. Sure, Lord, we'll do it. Uh, next week, probably. Now, I want you to go now. Now's not good. I've got a lot going on right now. Philip, go over and take that chariot. That chariot right there, are you sure? It's kind of weird, Lord, just going right over to this chariot and just, hi, I'm Philip. You know, it's kind of strange. See, the thing is, when you have obedience, one of the results of obedience is verse 30. Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? One of the side effects of obedience is boldness. See, a lot of people say, I can't. You probably can't. You're right, you can't. I can't. The Holy Spirit gives faith at that moment. And when I'm obedient, obedience becomes boldness. We all have stories of obedience becoming boldness. We all do. We all have these stories of where we did something and said something. It's like, I can't believe I did that. But the obedience became boldness. I I was just thinking about these at the 830 service. One time we were up at a pool park one time. And you know what it's like. Kids are running all over the place. Things are wet, slippery, concrete. Kid fell and just messed up his face. Awful. I mean, it was just awful. And that's every parent's nightmare. You see this kid. They're calling the squad. There's blood. He's screaming. It's awful. And I I felt like the Lord said, go over to them. Like, what am I going to do? Their kid's screaming. There's blood, there's pain, they're waiting for the squad, there's nothing. Go over to them. 
So I went over to them, and I felt like the Lord said, pray for them. So I came, went over to them and said, can I pray for you? And you know, obedience became boldness. Because I had every excuse not to, every fear not to. But when you are obedient, all of a sudden the boldness comes. So if you sit there wondering, I can't, you're right, at that moment you can't. But when you take that first step of faith, all of a sudden there's a boldness that just comes out of it. I remember one time up in Toledo, I shared this story with you guys uh, years ago. Uh, Dawn and I were going out for a date, and it was the first date that we had in months. Dawn has this rule that once we have a child, she doesn't let the world see the child or something like that. And she, she's guilty of kidnapping her own kids. That's really what it comes down to. So it was finally at this nine-month rule. That's what she has. I guess nine months in the belly, nine months before the world can see him. I don't know. So nine months... We were allowed to go on a date. So we went on our first date, and we have to take the baby with us. And so we went up to Toledo, and we decided to eat at Bob Evans, because that's what we wanted to eat at. Now, Dawn had to choose what she wanted. So she goes, can you go to Bob Evans and get me a menu? A little weird, but I love you as Christ loved the church, even though you're weird. So I go to Bob Evans, get the menu. She's sitting there in a parking lot away from Bob Evans, going through the menu, deciding what she wants to order. And there's a car beside us, and there's a couple in there having a very intense conversation. Very intense conversation. And it gets louder and louder and louder to the point that you can't ignore it. And all of a sudden, she hits the guy, and the guy then punches her at the parking lot right there. So this, this, this shows how unspiritual I am. I don't know what to do at that moment. So this is literally what I say. Open the door. And I told Dawn, I said, say something nice at my funeral. And so I go over. I, I knock on the window. And I don't know what else to say. I just saw them hit each other. I mean, not like hit, I mean, like hit each other. So the guy rolls down the window. This is all I say. I say, I'm a pastor. That's my, my, my badge. You know, I'm, not, I'm not a cop. I'm a, I'm a pastor. Uh, what can I do to help? And the guy goes, oh, man. And we did a little counseling session right there. Now, from the moment of watching that happen to the moment of getting out of my car door and, and tapping on the window, it was fear. But then it became boldness because obedience becomes boldness. And I'm not going to sit up here and try to pretend to you that I'm never nervous about sharing the gospel or I'm never nervous about a situation I've been in. There is sometimes legitimately fear, not faith. But I've noticed as I walk in faith, obedience becomes boldness. I just want to encourage you with that. So I see right here with Philip, Philip running to him. I bet his obedience became boldness. Do you understand what you are reading? Make it spiritual. Not, hey, Ethiopian eunuch, you got a nice chariot here. <laughs> no, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Oh, I love that. This guy's open. I mean, there are times I'm out there sharing the faith and it's like crickets chirping. There are times when I'm teaching on a Sunday or Wednesday and I'm like, yeah, you're asleep, you're asleep, you're asleep. You know what I mean? Then there are times where it's like, it just all comes together. There's seasons of fruit. Once again, right now, I can't be excited about the winter wheat. <laughs> I have to wait till June till it comes off. Then I can be excited about it. Right now, it's a time of planting. Right now, it's a time of, of uh, putting that in the ground and seeing what the Lord's going to do with it. Now, if you want to be excited about your corn harvest, it is because you're taking that fruit right now. Right here's a moment of fruit. This guy is ready. And look at him. How can I unless someone guides me? That word for guide is the same word for guide used in John 16, where it says the Holy Spirit guides us. So when you are sharing the gospel, when you're trying to explain spiritual matters to people, you're not doing it. It's the Holy Spirit doing it. You're just the vessel that's being used. So don't worry about it. Take your time. Be prayed up. Be fasted up. Be ready for it. 
Spend your time in the Word to be a diligent man that studies the Word of God. But when push comes to the shove, it's the Holy Spirit that guides you. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who would declare his generation? For this life is taken from the earth. This is from Isaiah 53. So eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. I love verse 35. Do you realize how simple evangelism is? Verse 35, open your mouth, share scriptures, and tell people about Jesus. Let's not overcomplicate it. Open your mouth, share scriptures, and tell people about Jesus. We think we have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers. Is it good to know answers? You bet it is. And I encourage you. We've got this apologetics thing coming up that uh, Josh, Renee, and Shannon are doing on the 12th. I encourage you to come out to that. Get some answers. But ultimately what it comes down to is, first off, are you willing to open your mouth? I remember Greg Laurie uh, saying one time in a teaching, when he was a new believer, he was going up and telling everybody about Jesus. Just everybody. You have that excitement. And he said people would come up and say, oh, okay, you want to tell me about Jesus? Okay, fine. Answer me this. And Greg Laurie said he learned at a very early age to say, you know what, I don't know. But I will look that answer up and get back to you and let you know. Well, what's wrong with that? Somebody asked me a question? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. Hey, can I get your number so that way I can contact you back when I get this information? Or would you like to set up a time where we could sit down and meet and we'll have a meal and we'll talk about this? Now, if they really want to, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they'll put the time and after to it. Or they'll be like, oh, I don't care. Okay, that shows that the heart's not ready for it yet. But I would love to talk to you more about it. So don't be afraid to open your mouth, share the scriptures, and tell them about Jesus. Well, I don't know everything you may say. Well, then tell them what you do know. Don't overcomplicate this. So what was going on in Isaiah 53? Can you turn to Isaiah 53 with me, please? Isaiah 53. One of the best chapters in the entire Bible about understanding who the Messiah is. So, once again, look at the coincidences. Philip, go to the desert. Philip, overtake the chariot. Just happens to be reading Isaiah. He just happens to be interested in what Isaiah says. No, this is the Lord. So as you're going to Isaiah 53, let's just answer this question. What happened if Philip was not obedient? So the Ethiopian eunuch is now doomed to hell for all of eternity? No. The Holy Spirit would just have sent somebody else. See, here's the beauty of it. There are times where I've been obedient. There's times where I've been bold. There's times where I've been fearful and I said nothing. So when I am fearful and say nothing, guess what the Lord does? He makes sure somebody else is available to go. Philip got the blessing of going. If Philip would have declined, I firmly believe the Lord would have just sent somebody else. So does that mean you can sit there and say, oh good, (laughs) I don't have to be an evangelist now because James just said, they'll send somebody else. Listen, there's a gift of evangelism. I've met a few people that have the gift of evangelism and it's an amazing gift. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but you're all still called to be an evangelist. To go tell people about Christ. There's going to be moments where you're going to be fearful. There's going to be moments where you trip over your words. And that's okay. Go plant the seed, water the seed, get out of the way. See what the Lord's going to do. So in Isaiah 53, the eunuch is reading verses 7 and 8. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here. Now, they do not have chapters and verses back then. That came hundreds of years later. But for right here, right now, he's reading verses 7 and 8. I'm going to assume that he was reading verses 1 through 6 before Philip came up and heard him reading verses 7 and 8. 
So if that assumption is correct, this is what he would have been reading, starting in verse 1 of Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should despise him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then Philip shows up. God's perfect timing. So, eunuch asks, Who's talking here? Is this the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? Because think about what's going through this guy's mind. Okay, so verses 1 and 2. There's this guy that's growing up. Verse 3, he's rejected by people, sorrows, despised. And then all of a sudden, verse 4, he's taking my sorrows. He's beaten for me. He's wounded for me. His his stripes, I'm healed. And then all of a sudden, verse 6, all my sin has been placed on him. What a perfect time for Philip to show up. To explain who Jesus is. All in God's perfect timing. And like I said, we all have a story of that moment. The Lord said, this is where I want you to be at that moment, at that time. One of my favorite ones in my life, and it seems so simple now, but at the time it was a big deal. Uh, we just got back this week from a pastor's conference in Indiana. We've been going for the last, you know, close to 20 years. And first session starts like 1.30 in the afternoon on a Monday. And so we go down Sunday to get sure everything's unpacked and ready because we can never get there on time (laughs) on Monday. Things always pop up. And so they've changed the times around a little bit to make it easier. But I can remember years past, Monday morning, we're getting ready to go, and we have to leave. It's about a a two-and-a-half, three-hour drive to get there. And I remember this before we had kids. We were actually watching somebody's kids here at church, and we were babysitting their kids, and then we are going to take off right afterwards and go to the conference. Dawn said, we need to make sure we're not late this year. I said, okay. I said, I just need to run out to church real quick, take care of something, and then we can leave. And I remember her distinctly telling me, she goes, I do not want you to call anybody, and I do not want you to answer the phone. So you can go out to church, because really Dawn's the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. So I want you to go out to church, and you're not going to call anybody, and you're not going to answer the phone. Okay? So I come out to church. My office used to be up here. Come up here, grab what I needed to do. And then I felt led to call somebody. So listen to God or listen to Dawn. You know what I mean? That's a tough one. I mean, it really is when you stop and think about it. And I thought, i got to make this phone call. And so I, I called this gal up. And I said, you were just really heavy on the heart. I said, I want to make sure you're okay. And here she is in tears. And I said, what's going on? She goes, my husband just left. Just literally left. I said, the marriage is over. And he just left. And it was just at that exact moment the Lord said, that's when you need to call. And I, and I can give example after example. And before you think I'm trying to elevate myself, I am not trying to elevate myself in any way whatsoever. It's the Lord nudges you, the Lord leads you, and you just say, okay, i got to be obedient. That, that's all. I mean, I look at Philip. He's obedient. Don't question it. Don't wonder about it. Don't try to figure it out. Just go. You know the Holy Spirit led you, then just go. Yeah, but what am I going to say? I don't know what you're going to say. But I know at the moment the Lord will give you words. Yeah, but I can't. Yeah, but I know when you do it, you'll have a boldness. And all of a sudden, you're leading people to the Lord. So 
Philip's preaching Jesus to him. Verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now that's normally what we focus on, but we get a chance to build up to that today. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, what a great statement, believe. See, here's the problem with the word believe. We have watered down what the word believe means. In the, in the original language, believe carries a very, very deep wording. When you say you believe something, it is not just establishing it as a fact. It means you're entrusting your life into it. Most everybody I talk to around here in Northwest Ohio believes in God. Most everybody believes that Jesus Christ lived and existed. And a lot of them will tell you they believe in God and they believe in Jesus. And really what they're saying is, I just merely am acknowledging a fact that God exists and Jesus is real. And I happen to go to church on Sundays. The really what the word believe means is I have now taken this acknowledgement of fact and I've put my life in there. See, I run into a lot of people, even here, that believe. They're not atheists. But they haven't taken that belief and really made it their life. And really stop and say, I entrust my life into who Jesus Christ is. And I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living for him. And then baptism is that wonderful outward sign of an inward change of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Verse 39, when Allah came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more and he went away his way rejoicing. Boy, verse 39 is amazing. I've baptized hundreds of people. And I'm telling you right now, I've never disappeared once. After baptizing any of those people. That word for right there, caught Philip away, that's the exact same word to use to describe the rapture. So Philip disappears, verse 40, and he's found at Azotus. That's about 15 miles away. He's a few select people to ever experience that. That that immediate translation like that. Why? I mean, think about this. This amazing ministry, this guy's saved, this guy's... It's not our choice where we minister. I I don't get to choose. It's taken me years to realize. I I don't get to choose who shows up on a Sunday or Wednesday, but whoever shows up on a Sunday or Wednesday, I'm going to love them in Christ. I don't get to choose for what season I have people in this church, but when they're in this season, I'm going to love them and try to disciple them to grow deeper in Christ. Philip and the eunuch, I don't know how long he taught him in verse 35, a brief moment, the dare I say change the world. Because if you've ever studied out church history and world history, wouldn't you know it that over where this eunuch's from, there's a great revival for the Lord. Did this guy bring the gospel back and in his position of authority and power use that to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's quite possible. I don't know how long I'll be in your season or you'll be in my season, but when we're in the same season together, let's just do what the Bible says. Let's encourage one another. Let's disciple one another. Let's love one another. Let's do this together and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may all of a sudden be transported 15 miles away. I don't know. That's what happened to Philip here. Philip was found as Zotus and passing through. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And the neat thing about this is now Philip disappears. Because now, starting in chapter 9, Saul, who becomes Paul, takes center stage. And he takes center stage for the rest of the book of Acts. But that's not all you hear about Philip. There's one more reference to him. Like I said, he ends up getting married and having daughters that are prophets. We'll get to that in a little bit. But what an amazing guy. And what we can learn from this, this brief little section here of Acts 8, obedience and boldness. 
He was obedient to where the Spirit led. And then there was a boldness to represent. And I want to encourage you also, if you are in a desert time, a wilderness time, don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't look for the first exit. The Lord will bring you out of it when it's time. Trust Him on that. But in the middle of that desert, you need bread and water. And that's Jesus is the bread and He's the water of life. And realize all this time now, you can glory in tribulations to grow and go deeper in Him. You can realize that the genuineness of your faith is being tested. You can realize that you're going to come out of this wilderness that's testing with stronger, deeper roots. You don't see the roots. You see the branches and the fruit. But to have those branches and fruit, you've got to have the root system. So we go through these wilderness times to say, Lord, grow me deeper than what I could ever imagine. Accept those wilderness times. Accept that desert time and you'll be blessed. Hey, let's pray. Worship team, if you can come forward. Lord, we are thankful for the time we have here this morning. And if there's somebody here this morning going through an emotional or spiritual or physical wilderness or uh, desert time, in the name of Jesus, encourage them and uplift them. Let the fruit come in your right season and your due season. Lord, if there's someone here tonight, today I should say, that needs obedience, let them see the blessing of just obeying. If there's someone here that needs boldness, let them have the blessing of boldness to fully represent you in all ways and all things. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Philip, and help us to live this out and always say and do in your name. Amen.